Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and it's time for another bi-weekly, that's every two weeks, not twice a week, uh, <laughs> look at what we've been reading, what we're going to read, what we thought about what we read, all that fun stuff. I think it's been kind of a slow couple of weeks of reading for both of us, right? Yeah, it has. It really, it's, it's back to school and all the fun that that entails. And also for me, there were two books that I started reading and I just quit. I'm not big on quitting books. I always feel like there may be something good that's really coming. But over the years, I've gotten much better at saying, you know what? This is not for me. I can find something better. You've been a good influence on me in that. I almost never did it. And I still don't do it a ton, but I do it more than I used to. Well, one of these two books that I quit, I quit just like a couple chapters in. I could recognize immediately this just was not going to interest me. The other one, I was about halfway through with it. And before I said just no, because I wasn't picking it up when I had free time, I was avoiding reading it. There's no Why, why would you keep a book around like that? Why are you going to force yourself to get through it? So that did, however, mean that I did not finish as many books as I usually do. But the first one that I did finish is called The Art of Noticing by Rob Walker. This is a book that I had been working on for most of the summer um, because it's not really a book that you start at the beginning and read straight through. It's a book of prompts, ways to notice your life and inhabit your moments more fully and just be more present where you are. And this is something that I definitely need some help with. So these prompts were really interesting to me. Some of them obviously more interesting than others. One of them that I have intended to do and have not yet is a suggestion that you take a walk and you take a walk to notice one color. Just pay attention to that one color, maybe even photograph every time you see that one color. Um, just a way, again, to pay attention. Other prompts um, dealt with the other senses. Sometimes some of the prompts were designed for you to be with somebody. Some were designed for you to be by yourself. But anyway, either way, it was just a really good reminder of all of the things that are around that fade into the background of everyday life, but are actually really interesting and beautiful and can add so much to your life if you just pay attention. It's the old Alice Walker thing from Color Purple that maybe God's a little sad if you walk past a field of purple flowers and you don't even take the time to look at it. Yes, you know? exactly. That's beautiful. Yeah. The next book that I read is called The Friday Night Knitting Club by Kate Jacobs. This is a reread for me. I was between library holds and I just didn't have any fiction. So I pulled this one off the shelf because I remembered really, really liking it. I had a note in the front of the book that said that I got it in 2008. And I remember reading it several times in that time period. It was still a sweet book with um, just a heart, like heart tugging kind of story. Um, it was a light read really all the way through easy to get finished with. And I think that was something I needed right there. Then the last thing that I read, I actually finished this morning. Um, yeah, I'd heard two books, and then here is a third one, lo and behold. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, our daughter had been after me to read this one for a while. She picked this book up um, at a used bookstore thinking that our son would really like it. because oh, It's called um, Raleigh Jefferson's Awesome Friendly Adventure, and it's by Jeff Kinney. Same guy who wrote Diary of a Wimpy Kid series, which our son started reading some of, and he really enjoyed it. I did not like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Did you ever read those? I never did, no. Um, I, I really didn't like the main character. Total mom opinion there. Our son thought it was great. He really liked it. <laughs> so our daughter thought that he would like this one. I'm not sure that he ever really cared about it, but she read it, and she thought it was hilarious, and she thought that I would like it too, and she was right. It was Absolutely hilarious. Um, really, really fast read. I started it last night and then I finished it this morning. 
Um, just a really cute book in which Riley Jefferson writes himself a little fairy tale fantasy um, story. And then Greg, the kid from Diary of a Wimpy Kid, who is his best friend, mm -hmm. comments on each chapter of what he would change. And um, it was really funny, really cute. I'm super glad that I read it. And honestly, Natalie and I haven't had a chance to really talk about it yet. So I'm looking forward to doing that with her later tonight. All right, that takes care of me. What have you been reading? Well, it's funny that you finished with a book that you uh, read because of Natalie, because my first one's a book that I read with her, and it's called The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League by Annika Orak. And, uh, I, you know, I, obviously, if you listen, you know I read a lot of sports books. I'd never read a book about the AAGPBL <laughs> as depicted in uh, A League of Their Own, and this was both an oral history, a book with some really awesome cartoons that underscored uh, <laughs> the, the, the stories, and Annika did a good job of getting some contemporary newspaper and magazine sources to kind of talk about the league and the players. Uh, I felt like I, I learned a lot from this book, and yet it was quick. It was, it was easy to read. Uh, we got through it. Pretty rapidly. I mean, it was the kind of book that she and I would read a few pages, and then we'd read a few more, and then we'd read a few more. Um, it sounds like the kind of book that she would be very into because she is fierce about sports from which women are excluded. Right, and and so you know she would get cranky about some of the things we would read, but but she would be impressed with others. Uh, I, it's a very good job of telling a history without resorting to statistics and, and boring facts. Um, I mean, one of the things that I learned, for instance, was that I didn't realize how much that league was an adaptation year to year. They would change the distance of the pitcher's mound, the different distance of the base paths, how you could pitch. Uh, they were constantly working on making it a better league, on you know keeping fans interested uh, and having the best version of the sport and the, the comments from the players, of course, are the best part. I mean, these, these ladies who are still around, obviously <laughs> they, they had some life experiences. We'll put it that way to go across small towns in the Midwest in the forties and fifties at a time when large portions of the American workforce just weren't open to women and they played baseball and they did it well. And it was a joy to, to read, really enjoyed it. I would give thumbs up to anybody else who's curious to learn more about that. One of my favorite memories of the first time we were in Cooperstown is a picture that I have of Natalie, and she's just kind of hanging around the corner at the entrance to the exhibit on this topic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's there's still a long way for baseball to go in acknowledging the role of women. Oh, sure. And then making it more inclusive. So, Well, one thing that she brought up that I thought was interesting, she said, why aren't there any women players actually in the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, you know, that's a good question. This league was around seven, eight years. We read about some girls. There was one lady whose name uh, is, is not coming to my mind right now, but her base-stealing stats were amazing. I mean, this was like the Ricky Henderson or the Ty Cobb of the, of the women's baseball world. And I'm like, you know what? You steal a 1,000 bases? Uh, I'll put you in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Henderson's... You put lots of people in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I would. And I but used... no, I'm not arguing That's that true. there are some women who should be. Well, they should be in there. And this is my thing. I used to be a big snob about this. And then I started writing books myself and talking to guys. And I'll never forget one guy. I'm not going to say who it is. He, he's dead now. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. And he'll probably never be in the Hall of Fame. But you could make a case for him. 
And he said, oh, I don't care. I gave up on that crap years ago. It's all political. And then he spent 10 minutes telling me why he should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and, and I've never forgotten that. You know, it, it, it means so much Everybody to wants to be appreciated yeah, for what they yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I'm a put more in guy, you know. What, what do you hurt by honoring people? Speaking of honoring people, second book... This was a reread for me. I'd read this years ago. I loved it then. I loved it now. Will you miss me when I'm gone? This is one that... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The Carter family and their legacy in American music. This is one that you tried really hard to get me to read, but it's just not going to happen. You know, I, I love it. It's such a phenomenal music history book. This one kind of raises a bar for me because when you talk about music, you can get bogged down in the details. You can get bogged down in musicology. You can get bogged down in the personal lives of the performers. But Mark Zwanitzer, who wrote this with Charles Hirschberg, does a phenomenal job of encompassing all of this. It's about a time and a place and a singular group of people. And he manages to keep all of those threads going at once. And, you know, it, it probably helps that they're my people. I mean, the, the Carter Fold over in Western Virginia is a long stone's throw from where I was born and where I grew up. And I've never been. And when COVID's over, I'm going to drag you over there, and maybe I'll make you read the book then. So. I'm not going to read the book, but I'll go with Such you. Such a good... Day. This is one of the best music books I've ever read. I would put it up there uh, with the Peter Gronick stuff that I love. Um, I've, I've never read a Bob Dylan biography that's equal to this. I'm trying to think... You've never read a Bob Dylan biography that you liked. Well, maybe not. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about Beatles stuff. I do love the uh, uh, Mark Lewis and Tune In... And this isn't quite like that, but it's really great. I know that you did love it. And your description to me of this book sounded amazing. I totally see why this is exactly up your alley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, again, history, music, personalities, Appalachians. Uh, yeah, this is how I roll. Uh, so then I, I kind of stumbled into two books that are very directly related to each other. Um, I've, I've talked with one of our listeners sometimes about how I have a tendency, believe it or not, to go on tangents of the same thing. Well, this time I no. did it totally by accident. <laughs> I started one of these books and I saw another one, and you'll see what I'm talking about. The one I started first was 1996, a biography by John Finkel, reliving the legend-packed, dynasty-stacked, most iconic sports year ever, about 1996. And then I went by the public library and I saw and picked up and read... Glory Days, the summer of 1984 and the 90 days that changed sports and culture forever by L. John Wertheim. When you told me that the title of this book was Glory Days, and before you got to the subtitle, I was like, you just read that. That <laughs> <laughs> probably did. I think uh, that's Dave Marsh's Springsteen book. You, you've read a lot of things with glory in the title lately, I feel like. But that's okay. Tell us about this book. Well, so both of these books really work on the same level. It's about a specific time, 1984, 1996, making the case for why these were significant years in sports and then in, in pop culture in general. I'll say uh, it surprised me because of the two, I mean, I was a teenager in 1996. I very much remembered all the things that he talked about, including the NCAA basketball champions that year, certain group of Kentucky Wildcats, who I happen to remember well. Um, <laughs> But 1984, I don't remember any of this firsthand. I mean, I was alive for this, but the Summer Olympics, uh, I didn't know about that. Uh, Bird and Magic, I kind of caught in on a little bit later at the end of their careers, but I, I wasn't aware of it in 1984. 
I think the 1984 book works a little bit better just because culturally the stuff in 1984 was a little more cutting edge. And, and here's a for instance. He talked about Martina Navratilova uh, and how she changed the way that people viewed women's tennis. Uh, she, of course, was one of the first famous gay athletes. Um, and, and that was an unheard of thing. And, and talking about somebody like Navratilova, I mean, there's always a great team. There's always a great story in any year, in any sport. Uh, but the ones in 1984 just seemed to be a little deeper in the cultural zeitgeist. Uh, the Olympics in, in 84 were a big deal. Uh, that was another thing, talking about how all that came to be and you know all of the, uh, the, the fanfare and the big deal that went with that. That really, there was a question like, was the Olympics going to be a big thing again? I mean, the U.S. had boycotted in 1980. 1984, the Russians boycotted, but it was still this big triumphant thing. So Edge for 84 over 96, which surprised me because I remembered 96. I would have thought I would have picked that. I would have thought I would rather have read about Jerry Maguire than about Karate Kid to give you an example of the pop culture stuff. But no, I, I worth time. I think, I think they're both enjoyable in what they are, but the 1984 book, I think, did a little better job of convincing me this wasn't just another year in another era. This was something unique and different. Cool. So... There was that, and that's all I know. There was one more book I read, but it's a book that you made me read. So, It's the book that you chose to read with me because it was amazing. Is it fate or free will? I don't know. It was free will, and you picked well. All right, what we, the book that we read together for this week, or the shared book, I'd already read it weeks ago, is called The Bad Muslim Discount by Syed M. Masood. So excited to talk to you about this one. We have not... Talked about a joint novel on this podcast since June. Well, I don't read very many of them. That's probably on me. <laughs> but, uh, but this was one, uh, yeah, you, you read it and talked about it, so I knew something of what I was getting into. But a lot of surprises here. For one thing, this was a really deceptively funny novel. I mean, it's heavy. This is some deep philosophical stuff. When you read the description of it, you don't expect it to be funny. Yeah. It, it's, so, like, just, just summarize it really quickly first. Well, it's a, it's a novel about immigrants, and it's really told through the point of view of a pair of immigrants. You have Anvar, who is Pakistani, who his family comes to America in pursuit of freedom. They, they see what's... The increasing restrictions yeah. um, on simple, everyday things that Americans take for granted, like dancing, and they come to America for that purpose. And then you have... Aza is, is how I think of the other. She has three names over the course of the book, right. so it's it's kind of hard to pin her down to one. That's the one I feel like gets used the most, so mm -hmm. that's how I think of her. She's an Iraqi, and she goes through this incredible turmoil and upheaval, and she comes to America. To escape. Yeah, really as, as a true refugee, and comes by way of Mexico, it's probably worth noting. Mm -hmm. Um so you listen to this, the story of two immigrants who, who leave their homeland with their families or what's left of their families, and they travel to America and they start a new life. You expect this to be something that's literary, that is, um, you know, just like passionate, interesting, full of feeling, all kinds of emotion. And, and those things are in there. Yeah. But it's hilarious. Well, there, there, there's a, a really nice amount of humor that's just kind of leavened in there to the, to the plot. But the, the other thing for me was just... 
it became a page turner. The, the farther I went, yeah, I thought, oh, nice <laughs> literary novel for the first third of the book. You called me one morning and said, yeah. why didn't you tell me I wasn't going to be able to put this down? Yeah, I was later than I intended to be for the rest of my day because I'd started reading it and, and really didn't want to stop reading it at all. The characters are really captivating in this book, whether they are being funny intentionally or otherwise, or um, they're breaking your heart. And, and they'll do both things in this book. Yeah. But the characters, all of the characters, even the minor characters, are incredibly well-written, are incredibly moving. At the end of this book, you asked me, you know, who's your favorite character? And we, we discussed main characters, but we also discussed seemingly minor characters and the power that they still held on us at the end of the story. So as far as what this book's about, I mean, we, we say it's a, it's a tale of immigrants, and it switches back and forth between Anvar and Aza uh, with the point of view it's about national identity. It's about people who really are Americans, despite you know a Muslim international heritage, and it's about religious identity. It, it's about you know what makes us, as the title would suggest, the bad Muslim discount suggests contemplation of what is a good Muslim or a bad Muslim. And ultimately, the overtones of that, I think, would be the same if we're talking about what is a good Christian or a bad Christian exactly. or a good agnostic or a bad <laughs> agnostic. Uh, I mean, faith is made universal in this book, not because we're trying to argue that all faiths are the same, but we're trying to argue that figuring out how you adhere to any faith is really kind of the same. It is. It, it requires the same kind of contemplation, reflection, examination of the tenets of your faith, um, and a look at the way we live our lives right now, where we are. Yeah, and, and you have kind of this thread um, that, you know, the Islamic people post 9-11 are often seen as outsiders, are often seen as dangerous because of certain radical elements uh, within that faith. And I think now we're coming to a place where a lot of Christianity can be seen as dangerous because of radical elements within it. Uh, so, you know, you, you have an interesting moment late in the book. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite parts of the book, late in the book, Anvar is talking with his father and his father says, America is still the most powerful nation in the world. Why are its people so terrified all the time? And Anvar, who is an American, he thinks about it and he says, we live on stolen land in a country built on slavery and relying on the continued economic exploitation of other people. The oppressor always lives in fear of the oppressed. Americans have always been afraid of those native to this continent, the black people of Japanese citizens they interned, and now Muslims and immigrants. So the real question, I think, is who is next? It's a powerful, powerful question that... America really has to grapple with. And one of the things that I came away with from this book, like you said, the, the dangers of radicalism, these are people who came from a, a country where oppression was very real all the time. And then they came to a country where oppression is real here as well. And the, the radicalization of any kind of faith, whether it's Islam or Christianity or whatever, is incredibly dangerous, not just for the people who practice that faith, but the people around them. But maybe most for the people who do practice that faith. Oh, sure. Radicalization is what we all have to be aware of. Well, so, you know, there, there are 
so many interesting things. One of the, the great subplots of the book, Envar's grandmother uh, plays checkers with him when he's a little boy, and he never beats her. And he <laughs> always tries to, and he always wants to know more about the game. And she teaches him about checkers, but what we realize over the course of the book is she, is, she didn't teach him about checkers. She taught him about life. I love Envar's father, who, to punish him, takes him on car rides where he plays all these songs, and someone in current earshot said, gee, that sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds like my life, well, he would, except not as a punishment. No, no. So he, he, would, he would take his sons you know, on these car rides and then buy them their least favorite flavor of ice cream. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the songs aren't songs. The songs are, are a code. They are a moral instruction in the same way that the grandmother's the checkers, checkers game, game was. Exactly. Uh, and, th- and this book felt like a checkers game. It started off it casual and, and easygoing. And and you think you're winning. Like you think you, <laughs> you've got, you're on top of this. You know what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden uh, you're just, you're being whipped. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it knocks you over. It takes turns that you didn't expect it to take. This book is incredibly well written. As we say, the characters are well drawn. The writing is excellent. The story is powerful, and if you read it um, with an open mind to connect, you will find much that is actually about your very own life as well. So high thumbs up, uh, high credit, high thumbs up too. Not? <laughs> uh, two thumbs up, high credit uh, for the Bad Muslim Discount by Sayed Masood. Next time around, we're going to go to a, an old reliable, I guess. A uh, a Pat Conroy book called My Reading Life. It's a book that I pulled out again in that gap between library holes so that I would have something else to go through. And I'm, I think, three chapters in on this current reread and just really love it all over again. Pat Conroy is one of our favorite authors. And in this book, he writes about books and people, um, people who gave him books and the way that reading itself has ultimately changed the course of his life. And besides how made it can we be? I mean, we're talking about hmm. a book about books on a podcast about books. It's so. a great book. So <laughs> if you have read it, um, let us know. And if you have not read it, this would be an amazing time. It's not a very long read whatsoever. Yeah, easy to read, short chapters. Any thoughts about um, what we have been reading this week or about Pat Conroy's book, My Reading Life, that we'll be reading for next week, please get in touch with us. You can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter at pbackreaderspod or on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod. Thanks so much. Appreciate you listening, and keep reading.